Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to focus on verses 10 through 13 today. It is a series that we'll be doing for three weeks as we continue through Ephesians Boot Camp 101 and Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 13. Let's read our text together. Paul begins in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might and put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of darkness, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you'll be able to resist in that evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Father, we look to you to really bring illumination to this passage. Lord, we know that we all come with different views, different thoughts. We've been taught different things. But what we want to really understand is really your intent in this passage. What do we need to know if we are to stand firm? And how do we stand firm? So we ask that you would anoint our ears, our minds. Lord, that you would speak through me and help me to be articulate and clear. That there be no confusion as the enemy seeks to confuse your word of God. So speak to us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at the text with me for a moment. Verse 10, Paul begins with the word, Finally, finally be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might, and put on that full armor of God, so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor so that you will be able to resist in that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. The Christian experiences warfare day in and day out. He's struggling in, in most cases that he feels is really just the natural temptations and that, that sinful nature. But it doesn't take long for every believer to realize that the Christian life is a battleground. It, it's not a playground. He faces an enemy who is much stronger than he could ever imagine. And apart from the Lord... He's only going to be another victim. It's only with the aid of Christ can we ever resist these powers. Our weapons are not what we often imagine. 
our weapons, they're truth and righteousness and peace and faith and salvation. The Word of God itself and prayer. See, these are the only weapons that will ever extinguish the flaming arrows from the unseen enemy. These are the only weapons that enable us to stand firm in the Lord and against all the deception of of Satan. When we're attacked by Satan for doing the right thing, we should stand firm just as Daniel's friends did in Daniel chapter 3. And you remember when they were commanded to do what was not right in the Lord's eyes, they chose to stand for righteousness no matter what that cost was. They were willing to be thrown in the fire and what they experienced was God standing himself with them and protecting them. See, the battle really is the Lord's. We're only a target because of our relationship with the Lord. Well, when we look at that, we understand that we need preparation. Preparation to to have this strength in the Lord, to be strong in Him. It's interesting as we think about this because Paul begins in verse 10 simply with the words, finally. Finally, finally what? Well, when we came to Ephesians, if you remember, we saw in those first three chapters what salvation looked like, what God had done, and who we are. We are children of God. And we are to be heavenly minded. And we have that hope of heaven. And God sees us just as we've never sinned. Oh, that's our position. That's our wealth. You've been grounded in in the basics. And, And he then says now, Walk out that Christian walk, because when we came to chapter 4, he said, walk worthy of your calling. Walk as a a child of God. Walk in such a way that, that people see you and acknowledge there is a God, and they give glory to God. And that's so important to understand. Not only were we to walk in the the glory of God. Walk worthy of that call. We were to walk in love. We were to walk in the light. We were to walk in, in wisdom. Wisdom, that is, in our relationship with our wives, as wives and as husbands, and with our children and our masters or our bosses. Yes. And he says, finally, in light of all that God has done for you, this glorious standing that you have as a child of God, and his great mystery, that is the Gentiles, would be one in the church. How incredible this thought in light of and the filling of the Holy Spirit. In light of all this, there's a battle battle to fight in the Christian's life. And the battle will rely upon God and rely upon his grace. 
Not on self-confidence, not on our flesh, not on our own ability, because apart from him, we can do absolutely nothing. Notice again that next set of words, be strong. Basically, it means allow the Lord to strengthen you, but at the same time, it also means strengthen yourself in the Lord. See, our strength comes from the Lord, and at the same time, as we draw and receive by that grace, we learn to encourage ourselves, strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Perhaps you remember the story of David when his men turned against him. When they return to their camp, all their wives, their children, all their possessions were taken by the, by the enemy, if you remember. And the men became angry and they wanted to, to stone David. In fact, let me read for Samuel. 31st 6. This is moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, and all the people were embittered with him. Each one of them had his own sons and his daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. See, when we're confronted with what seems to be the the heaviest pressures of this life, when the enemy begins to drop the bomb upon us, we need to Turn to the Lord, strengthen ourselves in the Lord, just as David was. It seemed as if everybody was turning against him, yet he was hurting just as much as the others because his wife, his children were taken away. But he found his strength. His strength was in the Lord. Look again, Philippians 4.13 Apostle Paul going through difficult times. He said, again, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul also found his strength in the Lord. No matter how difficult the situation was, he faced the enemy. He found his strength in the Lord. And just as David did and Paul did, you and I can find our strength every day in the Lord. But there's something else I'd like you to remember. See, we often forget that Satan's power over Christians is, it's already been broken. The great war is won through Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. First Corinthians reminds us of that in chapter 15, verse 56 and 57, because it says, the sting of death is sin and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As we turn to the Lord, as we learn to encourage and draw strength from him, we find that we are victorious and we are victorious in him. Not only do we draw that strength from him? We receive that strength from him. But it says the strength of his might, the strength of the Almighty, and it emphasizes his divine power at work in the believer. His divine power is at work in you and me. Look at verse 10 again. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. But we often say, how, how do we do this? I think Peter adds a little bit to that. Chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. 
Be sober, spirit. Be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in your faith. Well, number one, we're to be alert in that passage. We're to recognize there is an enemy and he's looking to devour us. And oftentimes Christians, they're either overemphasizing the devil, looking for a devil under every rock, or just ignoring him. The fact is we need to be alert. We need to be ready. We need to be watching. And when Satan is knocking on your door, resist him. Be firm in your faith. But how do I do that? A person asks. James 4, 7, I think, makes it clear. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Well, the easiest way is to submit to God. Well, how do I submit to God? I, I, I try, I, I give it to him, and I, I take it back. Well, we submit to God by fleeing the temptations of this world, by looking at the world a different way. We remember Joseph in the Old Testament, and Potiphar's wife was hitting upon him. And that's what we need to do, is we need to recognize the world is full of all kinds of temptations. And when you and I were in the world and of the world before we became a believer, we were sinning daily and didn't even understand what sin was. That's why in 1 John 2, 15 and 17, let me read, do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is in from the world. And this world is passing away in its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Again, once when you and I were just a man, a woman of the world, we love this world. We love the comfort of this world. We lusted after the flesh, lusted after our eyes. We were boastful and didn't even recognize it. And sadly, today, that's even within the church. Some have returned like a dog returns to a vomit. Some have just not moved forward. And they're bringing consequences upon themselves. Notice again, 1 Timothy 6, 11, but flee from these things, you man of God. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, and love, and perseverance, and gentleness. How do we submit to God? Well, we no longer lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. We begin dealing with those fleshly carnal desires that's in every one of us. We flee these things. And what we do now by su submitting to God, we find ourselves pursuing righteousness, pursuing godliness and faith and love and perseverance and gentleness. We, we long and desire to mature and grow in that love and grace of Jesus Christ. We desire to be like our master. See, the believer's strength 
lies not in humanity or any fleshly strength, but it's in a living, dynamic relationship with God. So when we're pursuing righteousness and godliness and faith and love and perseverance and gentleness, we're really pursuing this relationship with God. I, I love First John 5, 4, because it says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith in a faithful God to keep us until that day. Our faith that he will give you the strength and grace. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. When he died upon the cross for your sins, the past, present, and future, you became an overcomer as you put your faith and trust in him. It is in his strength that we are overcomers in this world, and he will keep you through those trials and through those temptations. Well, notice the provision. The provision is the armor of God. Verse 11 says, put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm. Now, that word full in some translations says complete, the full or complete armor Includes a shield, a sword, a lance, a greaves, a, a, a breastplate. All those things in a, a normal uh, situation with a, a, a Roman guard or an army. But Paul admits the lance, the spear that would be used for attacking. And he adds two things that aren't mentioned there. The girdle or the belt, the shoes to that list, they're, they're not even a part of that armor, but they're necessary for a soldier to stand firm. That idea of put on is the idea conveys a permanence, indicating the armor should be the Christian sustained lifelong attire. This is what you wear day in, and day out. Romans thirteen twelve says this, the night is almost gone, the day is near, therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Like the armor of God, the armor of light, they're one and the same. The light of God's word, the light of righteousness and holiness. The armor of light is related to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We're to put on Christ. We're to put on all the armor of God and are equipped both to defend and attack when necessary. Looking back at Ephesians 4, verse 24, it says, put on the new self, which is the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. We're to put on Christ. We're to put on the likeness. We're to put on, again, that, that beautiful idea of putting on righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance. We're to pursue this and, and put these. These are so equipped and simulated into our life that when people see us, they see Christ. We're a reflection of him. 
Now, the language describing this armor is drawn from the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 11 and 52, both. And while the Old Testament background suggests that the intent is the armor God wears, it's his virtues. It's a springboard. It's a way to to talk about identification with God and his purposes. And in Ephesians 5, 1 made it clear that we are to be imitators of God. By being imitators, we're taking on these characteristics of God by which we can be strong in him. By putting on the new self, we're putting on the armor of God. And Paul uses this common armor worn by the Roman soldiers as an analogy for the believer's spiritual defense. He also affirms it's necessary if one is to hold his position of tack. Now, Galatians 3.27 says this, For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourself with him. See, baptism gives that, that picture of identification with Christ. If we're identifying with him, we're going to want to identify with all these virtues. We want to have the world see Christ in us. Romans thirteen fourteen says this, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Colossians three twelve says this, so that those who have been chosen by God holy, beloved, and instructed here to put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And when we get in the Word, we're reading the Word, we're studying the Word, we're asking God to, to show us and speak, and He shows us those areas in our life that He wants to shore up. He wants us to put on this armor. He wants us to take on these characteristics. He wants to transform us into the image and likeness of, of, of Jesus Christ. This is how we resist the devil. We pursue this relationship with the Lord. We become imitators of him. Well, think again at this armor as an image. It certainly is a striking picture, especially when you think of it. In the Old Testament, again, in 1 Samuel 17, the, the, this incredibly intimidating Philistine champion of war, Goliath. <laughs> Goliath was described over nine foot tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head. His clothed with scale armor, which probably weighed about 160 pounds, kind of giving you the idea of his strength. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung over his shoulder. Certainly incredibly intimidating if you were to face him. But on the other hand, think of Goliath's challenger, the, the young David, about 16 years old, standing before him, Incredibly vulnerable, simple shepherd's clothing, carrying a slingshot with five round, smooth stones. It's not that David didn't try on armor because Saul tried to give him his armor, but it just didn't fit. It was clumsy. It 
wasn't suited for the task. And it's so interesting because here's this intimidating giant, this young, inexperienced, nobody even at this point, standing in front of him. David, though, went in the power of the Lord. His faith was in the Lord. He trusted in the Lord. He put on the Lord himself. What did Goliath put on? All the armor of the world. It will never protect you as it did not protect Goliath. In fact, that word bronze... Whenever you see bronze in the Bible and it's used symbolically, it always speaks of judgment. When you and I put on the world, we are under judgment. But when you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are an overcomer. You will overcome the schemes of the devil. In fact, that's what it says in verse 11, against the schemes of the devil. The enemy is the devil, and he schemes, and he has different plans, always with the idea to deceive and trap and slave and, and bring men's souls into ruin. It's not hard when man's bent towards sin that Satan can easily tempt to deceive him and, and ruin that soul. We know that he's always looking for an opportune time, the devil. In fact, when Jesus was led in the wilderness, if you remember, and tempted by the devil, Luke 14, uh, 4.13 says this, when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Maybe Satan's not knocking on your door today, but he's looking for the time that Maybe you're distressed. Maybe a time of sadness or mourning. A time when your friends have turned against you and he's looking for that opportune time. He's scheming and looking, looking in cleverness and craftiness, cunning and deception. He's lying in wait to deceive you. Now, we don't need to fear, but we do need to be alert. Now, Satan's schemes involve, really, the evil world system, which he rules over, and carried out by his demon host. The schemes, they encompass every form of sin, immoral practice, false theology, false religion, and worldly enticement. And it shouldn't surprise us because in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says, In whose case the God of this world was blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so they might not see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And this light, the light of his armor, the light of the, the gospel, when we put on this image, we are ever powerful in Christ. But Satan, in contrast, remember, our enemy, 
who is really an enemy of God, and we're only an enemy because he hates God. He's the prince of the power of the air. He opposes God's work at every step. He does everything he can to pervert God's word, everything he can to hinder God's servants from hindering the gospel to snaring it at the righteous and holding the world in its its power. In contrast, though, Christians are to, to follow the victorious Christ by putting on this spiritual armor of God, engaging in the battle where power is found in weakness and victory in these Christian virtues when we put on Christ. Look at verse 12, because we're going to focus on that battle. And and notice it's demonic, and it's against demons. Verse 12 makes it clear, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in, in heavenly places. So that word struggle, look at that first. That word in some translations is wrestle. It means the same thing. And it it gives us this picture of hand-to-hand combat, face-to-face. You've seen two wrestlers, and they wrestle with each other, holding, they're gripping. They're looking for an opportunity to to get their opponent off balance, to deceive them, to trick them, to, to win the contest. Certainly, that's what Satan was doing when Jesus was led in the wilderness to be tempted, looking to get him off balance. And it always involves trickery and deception when you're talking about Satan and all of his host. The only way, though, coping with these deceptive temptations is the truth and righteousness. Now, again, we we saw that this struggle, this wrestling match, in a sense, is more than a wrestling match, but it's against rulers and powers. And and all of this is they're controlled by Satan. He controls this world system. There is, again, a, a list of angelic ranks. And it's to show these ranks, but it's also to show the immeasurable superiority of Christ over all these false teachers might suggest Christ is all-powerful, almighty, and one day every knee will bow. Now, when we think about these principalities and powers, and what power do they have? Nothing unless God will allow. We're reminded in Romans eight thirty-eight. it tells us about these principalities cannot keep us from God's love. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Therefore, we, we, we learn that their power is limited. There's only so much they can do. Again, we also learn that, that Jesus is enthroned in heaven far above all principalities and, and power. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us about that. Colossians 1.16 tells us he's the one that created principalities and powers. And Colossians 2.10 reminds us that he is over all these principalities and powers. 
Now they're created beings, and they're fallen beings, and they fall in Satan, and they bought into his schemes. And I want you to see and think about that Satan is not the opposite of God. No, they are created beings. Ephesians 3, 10, 11 tells us the church makes known the wisdom of God to the principality and powers. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 tells us that the principalities and powers have an end and one day their purpose will be fulfilled and God will no longer let them work. It's coming to an end. And while God allows it today, he uses it to strengthen your faith muscles to draw you closer into the intimate, vital relationship that you and I need. So God has a purpose in allowing their work. Colossians 2.15 tells us that Jesus disarmed these principalities and powers at the cross. Not in what we do. Again, what Jesus did and not what we do. It isn't that there's no doing on our part. No, no. But our doing is more of a preparation and then an application of what Jesus has done. Now, these evil forces, their primary source of conflict in our life, uh, um, are not with people and situations who may irritate us and fend us or annoy us or hurt us. They're not the real enemy. It's not our wife, it's not our husband, it's not our children, it's it's not the politicians. They're only puppets. They're only manipulated. They bought into the schemes of the devil. And that's why Peter makes it very clear. In Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be sober in spirit. Be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The world doesn't understand that. In fact, they laugh at Satan. They make cartoons of him. And, and, and the fact is, he is powerful, but not all powerful. We have a victory. And our victory involves standing firm. Look at verse 13 with me. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Again, three times we see that idea, stand firm. It's not about attacking the devil. There is a place, there is a time. But really, the armor is about standing firm. Not letting the devil get a foothold in your life. It's not letting him stumble you or get you off balance. Well, look again. Take up that full armor of God. So be able to resist. Paul emphasizes really the necessity of Christians appropriating, uh, uh, again, the, the full spiritual armor in obedience taking it up and putting it on. Now, the first three pieces that we'll see next week is the belt or the girdle, the breastplate and the shoes, 
and the boots. And they are to be worn continually on the battlefield. Even though you're not in battle, you are to wear them continually. Verse 13, so that you'll be able to resist. This is why we're, we need to be able to resist because we're going to be confronted. It will be the last three, the shield, the helmet, the sword, that, that will be picked up, taken up when we're actually in battle. Now, what do you mean that evil day? It could refer generically to the time of judgment or testing. Ephesians 5.16 says, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Look around, the days are evil. There is a time that's going to be even more evil, but they are evil. Again, in verse 13, it says, having done everything to stand firm. See, that's your goal, my goal, to stand firm. It's not to be demon buster chasing around all around town, putting all our energies in it. No, there are certain things that we're going to see as we put on this armor of God that the kingdom advances simply by putting on this armor of God and being faithful with it. And we'll see that next week. But again, putting on this armor of God, it's going to protect us. We'll no longer be children tossed here and there by every wave of doctrine, the trickery of men, the craftiness, deceitful scheming of the devil. See, God's armor gives us as believers the ability to resist the attacks of the devil in that time of evil. And the evil is when he is moving, trying to stumble you, throw you off balance. He doesn't want you to be standing firm. But the scripture makes it very clear. For the believer who puts on the armor of God, I'm going to say and add to this, we do stand in his grace. We stand in the gospel. We stand in courage and strength. We stand in faith. We stand in our Christian liberty. And we stand in, in Christian unity. We stand in the Lord. And we should stand perfect and complete in the will of God. All in all, it's bound up in one little word, stand. We are to stand firm in the Lord Jesus Christ and put on the armor of God. Father, thank you. As we begin to look at this very important study, these next few weeks, the importance of standing firm in our faith, putting on the armor of God, assuring us that we have victory in you. And Lord, that we can find our strength. We can find our strength in you, the mighty God. And as we receive from you, we also learn to encourage ourselves in you and never, ever let the enemy get a foothold in our life. Father, watch over our brothers and sisters. Keep them strong and healthy and pressing on. Thank you for 
this study of the uh, boot camp, the fresh reminder of what we need to do to experience the fullness that you have for us as believers. And all God's people said, Amen.